Well, graduates, let me just add my highest congratulations to you and to all of the families that are connected with these graduates. And I know that it's a great day in your life and a great day in your family's life. I may have fallen asleep just for a brief moment there, but Amy, did you say that they are dismissed? You want me to say that? If you are planning to go to Sunday school or some other location and you want to be dismissed now so that you don't have to listen to this twice, I'm okay with that. Okay, so you, you, if you typically go to Sunday school right now and you want to be dismissed, you, you, seriously, you can get up and leave. <laughs> I mean, isn't it, isn't it nice that your pastor tells you you can get up and leave? So go if you want to, but you don't, you can stay. I mean, I'm, I just know how painful it is because I have to listen to me twice every Sunday, so I don't want to put people through any additional pain. Well, we're going to be looking at the Psalms again this morning, Psalm 146. And if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to take it. You may remember that um, most Bibles, you can find the Psalms right in the very middle of your Bible. So if you just open it up in the middle, most of the time you can find at least one of the Psalms, unless you have a ton of study notes, perhaps at the beginning or the end, and then, then it may not work quite that way. Psalm 146 is one of the, the psalms that we call a hymn of praise. And in fact, Psalm 146 through Psalm 150, the last five psalms, form uh, five consecutive hymns of praise that conclude the Psalter. There are 150 psalms. They are divided into five sections. And so these last five psalms are interesting because they begin and they end with the Hebrew word, Hallelujah. You've heard that word. You thought it was an English word, didn't you? It's a Hebrew word, and it means praise the Lord or praise Yahweh. So you'll notice that Psalm 146 begins with a praise to Yahweh God, and it ends with that. A lot of scholars think that these psalms, and we've talked about this before, were written as poems or as hymns to be sung. So what would be fascinating uh, to me, choir and orchestra is, wouldn't it be neat if we could have the music? If we could have the music that went along with these psalms and we could actually sing them, that, that would be really neat. And a lot of people think that it was the entire congregation that either said or sang the opening, praise the Lord or hallelujah, and the closing, praise the Lord. And then a soloist or a reader came and read the body or sung the body of the psalm. So it would just be kind of interesting to know how ancient Israel used Psalm 146. So in the spirit of how ancient Israel may have used it, I'm going to invite you to say with me, praise the Lord as we begin the psalm and as we end the psalm. Okay, you ready? One, two, three. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. Do not put your trust in princes, in mortal men who cannot save. When their spirit departs, they return to the ground. On that very day, their plans come to nothing. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God. 
the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them, the Lord who remains faithful forever. He upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts, lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the alien, or in our language today, the immigrant, and sustains the fatherless and the widow. But he frustrates the ways of the wicked. The Lord reigns forever, your God, O Zion, for all generations. And together, let us end the song by saying, Praise the Lord. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, I don't know how, how your family was from a political perspective, but I grew up with an extended family that had a diverse political perspective. My dad's parents, whom I never knew because they died before I was born, but my dad's parents were very strong Democrats. My grandfather held elective office on the local level in Granville County, North Carolina, just north of Raleigh, Wake County, for many years. My mother's parents, from Sampson County, North Carolina, were strong Republicans. So it always made for interesting discussions around the table when we would go down to Sampson County and following the meal, we would get into political discussions because my father would always bait my grandfather. He would take the opposite side on any issue regardless of how he felt about it just to see the fireworks erupt from my grandfather. I can remember many times that my Republican grandfather would tell my father, and he would tell me as well, he would say, the good Democrat is the dead one. That was his perspective. Richard Nixon was his political hero. He thought the sun rose and the sun set on Richard Nixon. So, of course, when that event occurred that we call Watergate, when it emerged with accusations that President Richard Nixon and his surrogates had ordered the break-in and the bugging of the Democratic National Committee headquarters at the Watergate complex in Washington, D.C., that's why it's called Watergate, my grandfather stood firmly in Richard Nixon's camp. He believed totally in his innocence. And because he was my grandfather and I thought the sun rose and set on him, I stood next to my grandfather and I believed in Nixon's innocence as well. I could scarcely believe that the charges against Richard Nixon were really true. But when he became the first president and the only president in American history to resign in August of 1974 during my high school years, I just couldn't believe what was unfolding before me was happening and that what they had accused Nixon of doing actually was true. And we know, of course, that those presidential tapes 
proved those accusations and confirmed that indeed they were true. For the first time in my life, I thought that maybe my grandfather was only half right. I began to think that maybe the good Democrat and the good Republican was the dead one at that particular point. Simultaneously, it was during that time in my life that I also began to sense God's call into ministry. And I began to clearly see that the one constant in life on who I could depend would not be any political candidate or any political leader, but it would be the God of, the Lord, of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who would never let me down. And indeed, I can tell you this morning, that's the case. He never has. Now, we come today to offer blessings on these graduates in our time of worship on the next leg of either their educational or their vocational journey. Many of you know that I plan my sermon text and themes and ideas a year in advance. I go on a sermon planning retreat in July and I look at the following year for sermon ideas and sermon texts. So the sermon title that you see in your worship bulletin this morning is actually one that I wrote and developed last summer in July of 2015. I knew, of course, that it would be an election year, but I did not fully realize that over 20-plus different candidates from both major political parties would offer their services for the highest office in our country. I was aware then, and I'm aware now, that election years and candidates, graduations and degrees attained, and new jobs and all of the money that we earn from it all have one thing in common. At the end of the day or at the end of the life, you can't fully place your trust or your confidence in any one of them. What I found out in August of 1974 when I was in high school is that candidates for elected office and or office holders will let you down. What I've discovered through the years is that degrees attained and professors who facilitate that learning do not always give us perfect knowledge or information. And what I've discovered along the way is that jobs and bosses and supervisors and governing body members and work colleagues will love you one minute and the next minute they'll let you go down to your own demise in a heartbeat. Now, please understand me carefully. According to Scripture, according to the Bible, we are enjoined to pray for our elected leaders, and we are to hold them with the utmost respect in this difficult job that they are called upon to do. Perhaps if we did a little less nitpicking, and a little less criticizing of our elected leaders any time they did something with which we did not agree, and perhaps if we did a little more praying, maybe our elected leaders would make better decisions by the end of each day. Have you ever thought about the fact that if you just prayed for the leaders of our country, maybe they would make better decisions? And I'll be forever grateful for those teachers and professors who have poured their knowledge and their experiences into my life. 
I'm grateful for those bosses and supervisors and governing board members, and I'm grateful for those work colleagues who have enriched my life and my learning significantly. I can promise you I'd be the poorer without their love, their support, and their prayers. But in this psalm, we have a writer who understands very clearly that there is one in this world who will never let you down and who will always be faithful to you. I'm sure the psalmist learned his lesson about this, of God's faithfulness, through that school, that practical school that we call the School of Hard Knocks. Do we have any graduates in here of the School of Hard Knocks? Raise your hand if you're a graduate of the School of Hard Knocks. Okay. I see that a few of you are, have uh, esteemed degrees from that particular school. The psalmist, I think, learned his lesson from that school of hard knocks, that school of experience. And in verses 3 and 4, the psalmist writes, do not put your trust in princes. Parentheses. Candidates for office, office holders, teachers, professors, work colleagues, bosses, governing bodies, etc., etc. Do not put your trust in princes in mortal men who cannot save you. The text goes on. When their spirit departs, they return to the ground. On that very day, their plans come to nothing. But then, beginning with verse 5, the psalmist celebrates that blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose help is the Lord, his God, the maker of heaven and earth, the Lord who will remain faithful forever. And then the rest of the psalm is a celebration of the God who cares about the oppressed and the hungry and prisoners and those who are blind, those who are cast down, the alien or the immigrant, the fatherless, the widows. And the psalmist concludes in verse 10 with these words, the Lord reigns forever. Your God, O Zion, for all generations. Now, one thing I can tell you about many graduates. Now, I don't know if this is true for all graduates, but I really do believe it's true for many, if not most graduates. It doesn't matter whether they're heading off for another degree it doesn't matter if they are looking for and or starting that first job. One of the realities about most graduates is that they are absolutely scared out of their mind right now. So don't let them fool you for a moment. And the reason I know that is because I felt that way. And I don't think I'm that atypical. It's scary being a graduate and the fear of the unknown. You don't quite know what's next, and that's scary. And the thing about every degree that you attain or every new job that you take is that you acquire continued new learnings and experience and knowledge that reinforce just how dumb you really are and how little you do know. Every time I got a new degree, I felt more and more stupid every time. Have any of you all felt that way before? Yeah, thank you, thank you. I mean, knowledge promotes 
an awareness of how much you don't know. And that's why it's so scary. You went to school to learn knowledge, to have experiences. You get a job to gain knowledge, to have experiences. And you become more aware with, on each step of the way how much you don't know. And that's what makes it scary. But you see, the, the writer of Psalm 146, he has graduated from the school of hard knocks, remember? He got his degree summa cum laude. Or I'm sure at least magna cum laude. Maybe cum laude? Maybe he got his like mine, just oh laude. <laughs> but he got his degree from that school of hard knocks, and he understands that God is the one who will not let him down. He's the faithful God. He's the ultimate teacher, professor, and guide. And so you see, that's why, folks, and it's just not our graduates, it's all of us here. This is why it's so important for you and for me to be in community with each other in this animal that we call the church. And that's why it's so important that we stay in relationship to Jesus. Because the fact is, we pray for our graduates that they will stay close to their faith and that they will stay close to the church and that they'll stay close to Jesus. And I pray it not only for them, but I pray it for you and I pray it for me. Why? Because everybody else and everything else in life has the potential and the possibility to let you down and to disappoint you and to not come through when you thought they or it would come through. That's why we need a community of faith that encourages us and sustains us and reminds us that while we, even in the community of faith, may let each other down from time to time, there is one who will not. There's only one Savior in the world, and his name is Jesus. And if we don't stick together with each other and stay in community, and that includes when you graduate from high school or college and you're heading on to the next degree or the next job, we need the one who will not let us down because we live in a world of people and experiences and things who do let us down. So, folks, I just want to remind all of us this morning that unlike my grandfather... And the way he thought, a political party or a political candidate or an elected leader will not ultimately save you. And neither will bosses or professors or teachers or other students or work colleagues. Newly acquired knowledge won't save you. Our resourcefulness, our talents, our experiences or the jobs that we have, or the money we make, or the things we buy with that money that we surround ourselves with. None of that stuff ultimately saves us. The psalmist really was spot on. Do not put your trust in princes, in mortal men who cannot save you. It was true then, and it's true now. I still keep up with my child, one of my childhood pastors. His name is Jack Henson. He's the pastor who baptized me at age 10 and a half at the little Creedmoor Road Baptist Church in Raleigh. Now, in his retirement years, he's still a pastor. It's a 
small church in western North Carolina in the Waynesville area. And when I was on sabbatical in 2014, in the fall of that year, Leslie and I were able to go by, see him, eat lunch with him, spend part of that day with him, and it was so good to see him. Every week, he sends out an email to the members of his small congregation, and there are not many people on that email because it really is a small mountain church. And he includes me on that email. It's a preview, a little bit of a preview, of what he's going to be preaching about that Sunday, and he gives the Scripture text. About three weeks ago, I got his email. usually comes in on Friday. And apparently, Jack Henson, Pastor Jack, was going to be speaking or referencing the current election year. And this is what he wrote. Democrats say the donkey is smart and brave. Republicans say the elephant is strong and dignified. In this politically charged year, there is a place for the donkey and the elephant. But in the believer's heart, the lamb, speaking of Jesus, the lamb occupies first place. The Democrats are report important. The Republicans are important. Professors and teachers and knowledge, all of that's important. Jobs, bosses and supervisors and work colleagues and the money you earn is important. But in the believer's heart, the Lamb of God should always occupy first place. May it be so for our graduates and may it be so for each of us as well. Let's pray together. God, this day we do what Scripture invites us to do. We pray for the leaders of our world, the leaders of our country, our president and vice president, members of Congress, the judicial branch of our federal and state government, our governor and lieutenant governor, members of the state legislature, our mayor here in Greenville and city council members, our county commissioners. For all who serve in that way, Lord, we remember them in prayer and pray that they would make good decisions that would represent the best interest of our country. Father, we thank you for teachers and professors and the educational process and for the good knowledge that we acquire in that journey. We're grateful for the opportunity to work. And we know, Lord, that you have ordained work. And we pray for those who are charged with the responsibility of being supervisors and bosses. We thank you for our work colleagues. We thank you for the money that we are able to earn. And we pray that we would be responsible in the way we spend it and save it. But God, when it's all said and done, we really do want the Lamb of God, Jesus, to occupy first place in our hearts. 
So we ask this day that indeed that would be so, not only in these graduates' lives, but in each one of us as well. So hear our prayer as we ask it in the only Savior of the world, even Jesus our Lord. Amen. Well, friends, we're going to sing the hymn number 680, All the Way My Savior Leads Me. It's in your hymnal. And as we sing that hymn this morning, it could be that there's someone here who has made someone else or something else your Savior. You have actually believed that something else could be the one that could save you, and we know it's only Jesus, the Christ. So, as we sing the hymn, I'm going to be standing at the front. And if there's anyone here who's never made that decision to become a first-time follower of Jesus, I hope you'll come and share that good news with me. It may be that you've been through our membership class, Oakmont 101, and you're ready now to become a part of the Oakmont Church family. We invite you to go back to the prayer stations, and we'll have several of our ministers who will be standing at the back. And if there's any way that we can pray with you or for you, or you'd like to leave a prayer request, on Monday morning of each week, I think so many of you know this, but just to remind you, we pray as a ministerial staff every Monday morning for the prayer requests that you leave us. And so if you'd like to light a candle that symbolizes that prayer or write a prayer or leave a request, we will be sure uh, to honor that prayer request that you make. So however the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, I hope that you will respond. Let's stand together and let's sing our hymn. Please stand.
Well, again, friends, good morning. It's good to see you today. And obviously, as you have already observed, it's a happy, joyful day of celebration here at Oakmont because of recognizing these graduates and having them here in both of our worship services and being able to celebrate not only with them, but with their families. So welcome to all. If you're a first time or returning guest, it's good to have you uh, be back and share in this time of worship with the Oakmont Church family. We like to ask everyone to pass the burgundy pads up and down your row. It's a good way to match names and faces, to build some community. Uh, you know, we're such a large congregation that sometimes it is hard to know everyone. So I hope that following the service today, you'll be very intentional in speaking to each other. We also welcome those who are worshiping by way of cable channel 7 or live streaming the service today. So, so welcome to all. A big part of our worship is remembering what God has called us to do and who God has called us to be. And that's often demonstrated and visualized in the different ministries that we share in this congregation, inside the walls of the church, and into our community and world. And one of the ways that we make those good ministries possible is by being faithful givers, by generously returning to God his tithes and our offerings. So I want to ask our ushers to come now. And as they do, I'll invite you to be a generous giver and to celebrate God's many blessings in your life. 